In everything, he's the greatest and must have preeminence. Yet the Bible uses these names for Jesus. Second man, last Adam. Well, who was the first man then? Well, of course, the first man was the first Adam, Adam himself. <clears throat> Adam was the first man, the beginning of the human race, created to know and serve God, to be an earthly son of God. He was given responsibility for the care of God's creation and for his wife Eve. In fact, Adam was made to be prince of God's creation. When Eve was in that infamous conversation with the serpent, Adam was there. He ate with her the fruit which God had forbidden, which gave them the knowledge of good and evil. And his rebellion against God brought sin and death to the world so that every human being is born in Adam, born into sin and rebellion against God with a fallen, corrupt human nature destined for death and eternal punishment. But Jesus, the eternal Son of God, became human, was made flesh, came to us and became one of us to bring about the rescue of humanity and a new beginning. He is the second man and the last Adam. And apart from Adam and Jesus, there have been no true men. Ladies, you can say amen to that one. (laughs) That is, no one who has stood at the head of the human race representing all and carrying us as their responsibility so that their failure was our failure or their success was our success. Where Adam failed and was defeated, Jesus came and overcame and won. And that's what we'll be exploring for the next few minutes together. In Romans 5, and I've had to cut right down the, the references here and give you headlines rather than full quotations from Scripture. If you're interested, go back, please, and read these chapters. Romans 5, you get a contrast. Compare and contrast Jesus and Adam. And I'll read you some verses, skipping through it. Therefore, through one man, which is, of course, Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus sin, death, spread to all men because all sinned. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more by the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, that grace abounded to many. Verse 17, if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one. Jesus Christ. Verse 20, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Do you like the much more, much more going on here? So that as sin reigned in death, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Adam was given responsibility and reign as God's prince of the earth, but he rebelled and rejected his God-given purpose and dignity. But through Jesus, we are bought by grace to reign in life through righteousness. Adam deserved death and so do we, but this new life of grace is the gift entirely of God's grace in Jesus. Then in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul again contrasts Jesus and Adam, but here is where Paul calls Jesus both the second Adam and the last man. Verse 21, Since by one man came death, By man, capital M, also came the resurrection from the dead. 
For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Verse 42. So also is also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also who are made of dust. But, or and, as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we've borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. So Adam and then Jesus stood as men responsible for all of humanity. But whilst Adam brought sin and death to us all, Jesus has made the way to grace and life and eternal life, life to come. Life in the grace of God now and eternal life in the kingdom of God to come. And there's those two phrases or verses again from, Ephesians, from 1 Corinthians 15. The first man, Adam, became a living being, a living creature. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. But since Adam, we have been in a battle, a war. Who are our enemies then? Well, our enemies are threefold. The world, the flesh, and the devil. That's a phrase that was put together by, by the reformers, the Puritans, and the state of a sense. You find movies and plays and books that have that title. Uh, I don't think we as Christians talk enough about these things, but the world seems to It's an unholy trio, an evil alliance. Let me just step those through with you. The world. It's the world of personal avarice, greed, ambition, and pride. The wrong values and thinking of human societies rooted in a godless heart or mind. The very heart, the core of worldliness is godlessness. But also, worldliness is our wanting our status and standing in the world. We want desire, recognition, attention fame, or even infamy. That's the world. The flesh is our physical and emotional appetites, things which are internal to us. Then there's the devil, the deception and diversion, and if he could get it, he would intend to destroy us even, because he hates human beings, because we're made in the image of God, who loves us and has provided Jesus as our saviour. Let me put that another way. We have an external enemy, Human society, with its values and its godlessness. We have an internal enemy, our own fallen human nature, and our physical appetites and our emotional and mental instabilities rather than stabilities. And then we have what we call, for want of a better word, an infernal enemy, who doesn't operate from hell, a fiery hell now, but that is his eternal judgment and jail. We see these three things in a number of places in Scripture, starting right there in Genesis 3 with the fall of Adam and Eve. The forbidden fruit was an object of desire to give them knowledge, to give them power, to make them like God, the very heart of worldliness. Then there was the appetite of the body and of the eyes. They saw the fruit, they wanted the fruit, they, they, they began to salivate for it. 
human appetites. Then there's the incitement of the devil to eat the fruit. And it won't turn out so In fact, it'll turn out okay for you. So there was deception from the enemy in leading them to eat the fruit. When we get, this is only two for an example, but when we get to Ephesians 2, Paul talks about we were all in sin. We were all subject to, and he mentions these three things. Notice them again. The course of this world. The lust and desires of the flesh of human nature. And then the prince of the power of the air. Those three things, again. But our man came from heaven to earth. God the eternal son became man, and Jesus faced and overcame our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you see them in the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Matthew 4, Luke 4, Luke 4, the temptation of Jesus. In the wilderness, which was a barren landscape because of the fall of man, Jesus was tempted to work a miracle to gratify his physical appetite. He was tempted to take a shortcut, avoiding the cross to gain his rightful position as ruler of the world. In other words, embrace worldliness to become world ruler. And thirdly, to bow down and worship the devil. Jesus faced these primary temptations and overcame them. We'll talk about how he did it in a minute. This was a decisive confrontation. Immediately after Jesus was baptized, the Spirit descended upon him and the voice of the Father affirmed him from heaven as his son. But dealing with and overcoming these things was a lifelong, enduring battle for Jesus, as well as for us. And sometimes temptation came to Jesus even through his close friends. When Jesus began to tell them that he would go to the cross, Peter rebuked him and said, no, 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 we're having none of that. And Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Hebrews reminds us that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. So Matthew and Mark tell us about our man in the wilderness overcoming Satan, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But then let's jump to I should have done that one. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, sorry. It's a nice picture. Our man in the garden. Okay, get this. Adam failed in a garden. Jesus fought and won in a garden. Here's the image for you. Eden and Gethsemane. The second and last Adam, unlike the first Adam, fought to obey and to submit himself to the will of the Father. He won the battle of submission and obedience in Gethsemane. And there would have been no blood of the cross, at Gol- which is what Paul calls it, at Golgotha, if Jesus had not first sweat blood in Gethsemane. It was no easy battle. It took hours of prayer and sweat and drops of blood fell from his head. So that the next day, we see our man on the cross at Golgotha, the last Adam. And to many who were there that day, and many well-meaning preachers since then, it seems that Jesus was defeated on the cross, and the victory happened in some other way afterwards. That is not what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us Jesus won on the cross. He defeated devil. He defeated sin. And he defeated death. The victory over sin and death was won there. Jesus then rested 
two Sabbath days, the special Sabbath and the normal Sabbath, before rising again on the third day, first day of the week, as Sunday. Now here's a table, which you're not going to get from the screen, I know, even at home, but you can text me, email me, and I'll send you these notes. I, I found this as an image, not on a teaching website, just as an image on a graphics image. Kind of very random place to find it, and I've adapted it with just a few words. The first Adam, we're going to go down. First Adam, second Adam. First Adam yielded to temptation. The second Adam overcame temptation. The first Adam sought to be like God. The second Adam humbled himself, and God became man. The first Adam was naked in his sin and shame and received clothes. The second Adam was stripped naked to be nailed to a cross. The first Adam tasted death from a tree. Jesus tasted death on a tree. The first Adam hid his face from God. The second Adam, God hid his face from him as he hung, bearing our sin. The first Adam blamed his bride. It's her fault. Jesus took the blame for his bride, his people. The first Adam earned thorns in the land. Jesus wore undeserved thorns as a crown. The first Adam brought the curse to men. The second Adam became a curse to bring us blessing. Where Adam lost, Jesus won. Where Adam failed, Jesus has fulfilled all things for us. There's a wonderful couple of old hymns, and I'm just going to quote a verse or two from them. This one's by John Henry Newman, a leading Anglican who became a Catholic court cardinal in later life. Anyway, this is the hymn, Praise to the Holiest of the Height. And he writes, O loving wisdom of our God, when all was sin and shame, a second Adam to the fight, and to the rescue came. O wisest love, the flesh and blood, which did in Adam fail, should strive afresh against the foe, should strive and should prevail. Now how Jesus overcame is how we overcome in him now too. It's wonderful that Jesus, our man, has fought and won for us, but do I need to remind you that we are still in the battle? So in him and through him we are to learn to be overcomers. He calls us to follow him and to overcome in and with him. He gives us all that we need to do so. But the central thing in this is seeing him and following him. And here's a scripture that I could not, literally I could not get out of my head this week. Mark 16, it's in Mark 10, Mark 8, Mark 10 again, Luke 9, Luke 14. This saying that Jesus said to a number of people on a number of occasions, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now let me just mention, Jesus was saying that to people months before he went to the cross. He'd barely even begun to talk about it, and yet he offers this out. If you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up the cross and follow me. Jesus is the way. What is his way of overcoming? Well, there's just a few. I think these are the main ones. Number one, self-denial. You've got to get some discipline and how to manage some issues of self-denial to get discipline in your life, to be stronger in this life. Let him deny himself. Then secondly, choosing death. I don't mean you, you, you get suicidal. I mean you accept the risk, you could lose everything, you could lose your life. 
This could cost you dearly following Jesus. But you accept it. Let him take up his cross and follow me. You choose to die to ambition. You choose to die to worldly ambitions and things. Then declaring truth. That's how Jesus met the devil in the wilderness, wasn't it? It is written. Whether Jesus wagged his finger when he said it, I don't know. But it is written. Jesus didn't shout at the devil. He quoted scripture at the devil. It wasn't how angry Jesus got, now how loudly he shouted, I rebuke you, you know, or whatever it was. It was he quoted scripture. Because the devil was quote, misquoting scripture to him. De- declaring truth. We can do that in scripture. We can do that in worship. We can do that in praise. We can do that in prayer. But we declare truth. And then prayer and worship. Jesus prayed. Prayer and worship. Jesus prayed. He stayed awake into the night to pray. On numerous occasions. He, we know he prayed the night before he chose the twelve. He prayed the night before he went to Golgotha. And lastly, obedience to God. Whatever he says to you, do it. Then these things are not to be treated separately. You don't do them later. We do them all together. This is how Jesus overcame. It's the way we overcome too. And I'm sorry to kind of dismiss a little bit of a song that many of us actually like, but this all together is how we fight our battles. All right. Now, we have a man in heaven. Jesus is our mediator, our saviour. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. If I had time, I'd bring in chunks of scripture from Hebrews here, but let me just headline some for you. Because God became man in Jesus, we have a mediator, someone who stands there for us and speaks up for us. Jesus shares our humanity. He understands us. He feels with us and for us. It's called empathy, isn't it? Jesus understands you. When someone says, no one understands me, he does. He knows you from the inside out. With that knowledge and empathy, he prays for us. He lives and makes intercession for us. And with that compassion and understanding, he oversees us. He cares for us. We call it shepherding. He shepherds us from heaven. Another hymn for you. This one is Isaac Watts. From Jesus shall reign wherever the sun. And the verse goes, Where he displays his healing power, death and the curse are known no more. In him the tribes of Adam boast more blessings than their father lost. There's a whole theology in that one. But there will come a day when our man will come from heaven. Jesus is with us now through the Holy Spirit, but he's physically, humanly, Jesus is still the man, Christ Jesus. He is human, I like to say it this way if you don't mind, he is humanly present in the throne of God, with the Father, ruling and reigning over all things and above all things, and he must reign, and and reign from there until every enemy is defeated, and then the end will come, and we shall be with him, And we shall become like him in his resurrection. And as we read earlier, as we've borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. That is our hope. That is our destiny, our destination. We endure these trials and temptations now, overcoming them by what Jesus is to us, what he's done for us, and what he continues to do for us as our master, our Lord, our Saviour. 
So today, to close, I want to change that uh, motto of the Moravian Church. It's a good motto. I love that seal they have. Our Lamb has conquered. Let us follow him. And if I was cleverer with graphics, I'd have made a new seal, but never mind. Our man has conquered. Let us follow him. But there's the question. Do you and I follow him? Do we submit ourselves to his leadership, his ways, so that in him and through him we are also overcoming the world, the flesh and the devil? As he did for us, he now will help us to do the same. It's God's purpose, Revelation, sorry, Romans 5, that we reign in life by grace through this man, Christ Jesus, by following him. So we need to follow him and fight and overcome as he did, not from our own resources. I'm whacked out. I there's nothing left in me. Well, good, because there's more from heaven for you. We draw upon him, his grace, his wisdom, his strength. Today, submit yourself, whether again, for many of us, or for the first time. If you've never kind of stood in your imagination before Jesus Christ and said, Lord Jesus, I submit my life to you. Put yourself into the hands of the Lord. Confess you are his to follow him and learn to live his way. Our man has conquered. Let us follow him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we honor you. Our man in heaven, we are not taking anything away from your deity. We worship you as God. Yet we rejoice you have not forsaken your humanity, but taken it to the very throne of God. There is a man who is a mediator. There is a man who is our saviour. There is a, an eternal son who bears a human name, Jesus. We worship you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that you are not just the one who's done all things for us, but you're now at work in us to produce in us the same outcome of overcoming our trials, overcoming our distractions, overcoming our diversions, overcoming those deceptions of the enemy which keep us from fulfilling our destiny, which is to be overcomers through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Lord Jesus, teach us how to see you and follow you. That we become more and more like you until one day we are transformed to be, to bear your image forever. And I pray for anyone who's never submitted their life today until today to you, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, stir their heart today to take a few moments, to get away from other people and take a few moments. And whether they stand or they bow their knee, but to take that moment of serious commitment and say, I commit myself to Jesus Christ to be his and to follow him. Amen.